Hello and welcome to the American Scientist Podcast. I'm Robert Frederick. In this special episode, we'll hear from author Jamie Bartlett about his new book, The People versus Tech. We seem to have this idea that democracy is all about individual freedom and free expression. And it's led us to believe that the internet is invariably good for democracy because it's good for those aspects of democracy. Bartlett, director of the Center for the Analysis of Social Media, spoke with our books and culture editor, Diane Timblin. Here's their interview. Welcome, Jamie Bartlett. We talk about big data a lot. We hear about it in the media. How would you define big data? Well, I think the, I think the key thing about big data is, um, is obviously the, the scale of it, the incredible amount of data that is being captured about us, produced by us, um, beyond the ability of a, a human brain to, to sort of make sense of. So you need to rely on machines to do it for you, but also the great variety of it, you know, data that is coming from all sorts of different sensors and devices, some of it's structured, uh, some of it's unstructured, like free-floating text. And so it's just of a, it's of a scale and a type that is really unprecedented and accompanied by machines that are capable of making sense of that. What kind of undergirds your book is a discussion of the six pillars of viable democracies. What at the root makes a democracy work? And then you investigate those areas in terms of how technology can disrupt that aspect of a viable democracy. Could you discuss those six areas and just kind of give a picture of the scope of what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. It, so the thing that I've noticed over the last several months, couple of years, I suppose, is that it's sort of a, a real sense of isolated stories to do with problems that democracy is facing as a result of digital technology. So whether it's Russian bots or elections being contested about whether targeted adverts are being used, cybercrime going unpunished, automation and how it's affecting jobs. We've seen all these isolated stories. And what I, what I tried to do, I suppose, was to suggest that something more structural is going on. And all of these isolated stories are, in fact, part of a sort of two tectonic plates that are crashing up against each other. One is an old democracy built in an analog age, and the other is a new technology, digital technology, and they don't work very well together. Uh, it's as simple as that, really. So there's a sort of underlying problem here. It's not just a series of minor difficulties. So I decided to approach this by saying... There are boring things that make democracy, modern representative democracy, actually work. We seem to have this idea that democracy is all about individual freedom and free expression. And it's led us to believe that the internet is invariably good for democracy because it's good for those aspects of democracy. I'm not saying that those things aren't important, but there are other things that make democracy work. And these are my pillars and those pillars, as I've, as I've kind of constructed them, are uh, a, a sort of citizens, citizens that are able to 
uh, take complex moral judgments for themselves and not be constantly subjected to sort of nudges and uh, distortions of, of how they see the world. Secondly, citizens who are capable and willing to compromise with each other and actually come to agreements around political issues. Thirdly, elections that people have trust in that actually work and function and can be properly regulated and policed. Fourth, a middle class that is strong and, and sort of power and powerful and pays its taxes and all the things that make the middle class essentially keep society ticking along neatly. Then we need uh, an economy that's relatively competitive and is not entirely dominated by a small number of monopolies. And finally, a criminal justice system that actually works and that people have trust in, i.e. a police force that is able to enforce the democratically agreed law. Those things are the boring bits that make democracy work. And all of those things in different ways are, I think, being slowly eroded by the way that digital technology is changing society. Well, and one thing that I really appreciated about your book, that it makes very clear that this is not a quick fix. Yeah, yeah. It feels a bit unfashionable and, and a bit boring almost, but you need to have sort of institutions that, that really work. I mean, you need, you need regulations that people trust and believe uphold the law and uphold the rules when it comes to things like elections. And when you have brand new ways in which digital campaigners are able to circumnavigate or avoid the sort of standards that we have tried to set on how you can run an election campaign, um, people start to lose trust. They start to not have confidence anymore that the system works as it should and that the system is rigged and so on. So boring things like regulations are actually essential in the running of democracy. And that's an example of how digital technology, not intentionally, I believe, it's not an intentional plot to overthrow democracy, but just the way that digital technology is so difficult to police in so many respects is almost accidentally undermining democracy. It acclimates us to a faster pace that is not always comfortable for government as we know it. Yeah, well, exactly. And I mean, this is another part of it. This is why I'm trying to I'm trying to look at it from from, I suppose, more angles than most people usually do. One of the angles, I think, is is sort of, I suppose, people's appetite for representative democracy. Just the, the feeling that representative democracy, i.e. you trust your elected delegates to make decisions on your behalf, so they will they will work with other people to come up with inevitably compromises and muddled positions because that's what politics is often about is just it's out of sync with the sort of the speed and personalization of how we live our lives as consumers you know everything we now is so on tap it's very easy to get what you want when you want it as you want it no need to ever compromise on anything and politics however you know, it can't deliver on that, even down to a sort of spiritual level about the notion of speed and how quickly things need to be done. Representative democracy is lagging behind how we live our lives as consumers. And this, I think, is one of the reasons that people are getting more and more frustrated with democracy. And I mean, in the end, also turning to populists, whether of the left or the right, because they always promise to fix things immediately. 
as you were investigating how political campaigns are using big data, what surprised you the most? Well, uh, one thing that really jumped out at me was when I was visiting the uh, the Trump digital campaign's headquarters in San Antonio, Texas, where they ran, they designed and ran all of these ads that they were putting out and you know, millions of dollars that they were pouring into this, that Facebook and, and Google employees were, were embedded inside the Trump team, that Facebook and Google had, had basically sent over staffers who would make sure the Trump team got the most bang for their buck. And I, first of all, I thought, my goodness me, I mean, I cannot believe that those companies have actually sent staff into the campaign headquarters to help them, Uh, especially after how much both companies have really kind of had really come out against Trump, uh, and especially with his travel ban. But they'd helped him get elected. However, when you know, on further reflection, Trump was a big paying client. He, they were spending tens of millions of dollars on the platform, especially Facebook. So it kind of stands to reason that in the end, they would send someone in there because he's such a valued customer. Wasn't it about seventy million that the Trump campaign spent with Facebook? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Huge amounts of money all around the world. It's the same story that 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 budgets that were going into TV, newspaper, and billboard adverts are just drifting away into online sources. You can see that in the way that adverts for newspapers from commercial clients are drying up, and they're turning to online platforms to reach people. So this is not unique to politics. This is something that's happening all over. And of course, Facebook and Google really do dominate that online advertising market. It, it is really amazing how having the data, knowing how to leverage it, what a difference that now makes. Yeah, but this is the thing. Is I don't think it's the case that you can use these techniques to uh, manipulate the minds of millions of people. You know, they, they, they weren't trying to change the minds of hardcore Clinton supporters, and that's never going to happen. More like just finding that small number of people, that small percentage of people that maybe could be turned and hitting them with the right message at the right time. And if you speak to any online digital advertiser, they will probably tell you that a lot of what Cambridge Analytica were doing was not that really that sophisticated. It wasn't that new. Other companies have been doing it for a very long time. What makes you optimistic? Is there anything? And where where might that be? I think that democracy is a system that has the ability to change. My worry is whether it can change quickly enough and whether we're capable of understanding the threats and making sure that our systems of government evolve to them. But we've done it before. And when I look at the way that people are, ever since, I suppose, especially this Cambridge Analytica story, people are really starting to take the question of data, individual privacy, monopolization, really seriously. I think the twin stories, actually, of Edward Snowden and Cambridge Analytica, which have come five years apart, have done an awful lot to get people really engaged with these issues. People are thinking deeply about the future of our democracy. More and more people are being more discerning about what they share online. 
more and more people are downloading ad blockers to try to sort of you know make sure that they take a bit of more control over their how their information's being collected so every time you see a crisis or a problem people usually respond to it and i always see that happen i guess my my fear is whether it will happen quickly enough but i've no doubt that people are and will continue to respond to these challenges so in a weird way the next couple of years are going to be quite exciting because there's an awful lot of development of new types of technology new civic activism and that's always a reason to be optimistic that whenever something's going bad people nearly always find a way of trying to respond to it and i like that you provide in your book ways that people can take agency i'm just trying to nudge that much more natural organic process of people recognizing the problem and responding what i'm hoping to do with this book is just to is to nudge that on a little bit speed it up a tiny amount i'm never going to be able to do much obviously but and give people a handful of ideas about what you know what you might do like if you think a local press is important to make sure that the your local governments or your state government is held accountable, then you get out there and buy that newspaper and don't read it online for free because otherwise it's not going to survive. Um, each of us can do stuff personally in our own lives that can help this along. No one person is going to be able to change this. And people say sometimes, how am I, just me on my own, how am I ever going to be able to change all these things that are happening? And it's that's not the question. The question is whether lots of us together acting in concert can do something. And of course we can. Jamie Bartlett, thank you so much for talking with us today. Oh, pleasure. Great pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. That was our books and culture editor, Diane Timblin, speaking with author Jamie Bartlett about his new book, The People versus Tech. You'll find much more about big data's emerging role in science and society in the September-October 2018 special issue of American Scientist magazine and online at americanscientist.org. You've been listening to a podcast from American Scientist magazine published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Honor Society. I'm Robert Frederick. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>